for one fall one fall with a 60 minute time limit coming out of the black corner and recording to you once again from parts unknown i'm your boy xander hobbs this is bobby the elite b and i'm recording to you from the land before time and this is the wrestleocalypse it is upon us. Well, well, well. By hook or by crook, we've made it 365 days, one year since we started this bitch. Yes, indeed. It has been an eventful rotation around the sun. And here we come back. It cycles like we all are. Uh, we've been through a lot of changes. We used to be known as... We used to be known by a different name. We did. But we march on. We progress. Pandemics be damned. We're going to continue to bring you the best wrestling podcast in the world. You're damn right. Because while the names change, while the world has changed, while the world is constantly changing, the only thing that stays consistent are your two boys bringing you the hard-hitting cool shit that we like to call the Wrestleocalypse. So welcome on in to One Year Down. Yes, indeed. And we're going to start this up. We're going to get to the current events later, but we're going to go. We've got a really fun show with we're going to kind of talk about all the stuff that has happened since we uh, graced your presence, made your life better by producing our first episode last July. Um, and we're doing a kind of a year in review of the Wrestleocalypse year. And um, one thing I said, I kind of feel like and it's been lost a little bit, but. I think it's been the year of the fiend. I agree. I can agree with that because I did, I did like dip into like what we've been doing. Like I just skimmed over a couple of uh, um, bullet points and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's been the year of the fiend as far as getting a character in there that people wrestling and non-wrestling, so to speak, kind of cared about, you know, so people see this guy, I mean, and, yeah, the guy made waves. I mean, especially with the character, if you knew Bray Wyatt before he became the Fiend, and you know, like, what kind of um, tribulations, so to speak, that he's hit. Yeah, I would agree, and I really liked it. I think that they got really lucky with him, because knowing how WrestleMania 2020 was going to go down, yeah. you needed a character like that who can do an unconventional match episode bring something to a crowdless event 
And yeah. they really struggled with that. And exactly. I was very impressed. I love the look of it. I love the dynamic between uh, Firefly, Funhouse, Bray, and The Fiend. Um, I think they, they really booked him correctly in the first section of his of, of bringing him out, you know? Um, it was just a lot of, like, opportunistic attacks. And he was so menacing. I thought it was just great. And even now, uh, he's like the only guy who can make Braun Strowman slightly interesting. Yeah. And, I mean, back to what you were saying, I mean, I, I enjoyed that segment at WrestleMania that he did with John Cena. Like, I thought it was brilliant. And the thing is, the contrast between Firefly, Bray, and The Fiend is awesome. And a lot of this is Bray Wyatt's brainchild. And I'm not saying that every wrestler has the creative mind that Bray Wyatt has, because probably not. But it's just like, when you find out what these guys can do, let them ride with it. Because that's why, why do you think the characters work so much? Because they're giving him, like, the reins to do it. And he's not just being so, like, um, confined to, like, what they want him to do. Why do you think, I'm not comparing the two, but why do you think Steve Austin was so successful? Because that is a, it's like, it's an extension of himself. And with this Bray Wyatt Fiend character, I'm not saying he's this maniacal person, but it's just like, the guy's a brilliant writer, and he knows what works. Because, mm -hmm. like, those jabronis that are getting paid, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars to write shitty fucking product don't have to hold a candle to what Bray Wyatt's writing for his character. And it's just like, it's something to be said, and it's something to look into. It's just like, you need to find the, the what these guys are good at and accentuate that. That's You know what I mean? And make them excel at it. And I think that's why The Fiend was so successful. Yeah, and I agree. Um, you know, it's a really good uh, example of when uh, a performer has some uh, creative input, how much more invested they are in what they're doing. You right. know, instead of being instead of being given a gimmick from a writer or management or you know the boss. Um, you know, it's like, and it just turned out really well. It's been a great year. There's been some ups and downs we're going to talk about as we move on to the show, but definitely super excited about it. It brought the horror back. I love the fact that he also, he like checked with Mick Foley before he started using the Manimal Claw, which is, you know, what, what, I'm sorry, go on. No, I'm just saying like they, they just hit a home run with that. And then try as they might, as much as they want to bury the character with these losses to Goldberg and, you know, this shit with Braun Strowman. And I was just like, Ray Wyatt, not only is he talented as fuck, he's got like a cult following. And, you know, his fans want his fans want him to succeed. That title run lasted way too short. Not as short as his first run, but I'm just saying it's just like they just don't like when people are organically over. You know what I mean? They just for some reason, it chaps McMahon's ass so much that he didn't create it. And so it's just like he just I don't know. It just seems like this weird um, this this weird obsession that he has because he wants to just be creating everything. But I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. So I'll stop. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's, I think, the, the top of the the top of the heap thing about the our first year that we really enjoyed sinking our teeth into. Um, but there are some really other big stories. And I think I think the one that's going to probably continue to be at the top of the headline for year two is the new wars, the Wednesday night wars. We like to call it wrestling night in America because it is our two uh, favorite uh, domestic mainstream productions. I mean, yeah. NXT to me is the best thing WWE offers and AEW 
is this dynamite, is this new fresh pr promotion with some young talent, some established talent. So Wednesday Night Wars has been great. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? The, the, the wars I like to use lightly. I, I do like our tagline better, Wrestling Night in America, because that's what that is. It's like, I mean, we both lived through the Monday Night Wars, and we know that's never going to be topped, and we're not trying to top it. But I'm just saying, like, just for, for so much of the crap that the WWE has fed us for years and years and years, it's refreshing to look forward to, like, watching NXT and watching Dynamite, because I look forward to those shows. I started watching, like, I, it's hard for me to watch Raw and SmackDown these days, but I was watching Raw and SmackDown just out of habit for a long-ass time until it got really fucking bad, but I digress. But it's just like there's, a, like, there's some good things happening, and you know what I mean? Like, Triple H, hats off to him for running that promotion because they get gutted every single year. Man, like, I remember the days of watching NXT when it was Finn Balor, Nakamura, Kevin Owens, you know what I mean? And just, you know, they, these guys get gutted, and Triple H just seems to make it work with these guys. And you can tell that they really are really out there, not just, you know, doing the best for themselves, but for him, because he's got that, he seems he's got that, like, kind of like Papa Bear effect on them, and he wants them to succeed. And it's really, it's really, and, you, and it shows in the product. That's just what it is, bottom line. Yeah, and I, and, you know, I agree with you. Uh, we're obviously much smarter than most people. So the Wrestling Night in America is what it should be because one thing we've always said this entire year is we're sick of the tribalism. Yeah. Well, down the middle, if you're a WWE mark and you're not going to call them out for this bullshit bookings that they do, then you're, you know, and like we don't. That's why we like Wrestling Night in America because every Wednesday night there's two good promotions. Maybe one night, one week NXT is better. Maybe the next week AEW is better, but they're both so great, and we can both watch them all. It's it's yeah. it's it's just it's like Monday Night Football, just better because it's actually on. Exactly, and it's just like like you said to piggyback on that. It's just like you know myself and you and a lot of other people out there are actual pro wrestling fans. That means if we like a product and they're wrestling, that means we're going to watch it regardless of what the name is. You know what I mean? It says you have all and you have you have the same thing with AEW marks because there's some shit that AEW does. I could get that, you know, the marks would be like, oh, it's cool. But I guarantee you the WWE did that. They'd be all over it like fucking white on rice. So it's yeah. just like you got to call it like it is, man. Like are both companies perfect? Absolutely not. But I'm just saying Wednesday night is an entertaining night if you're a pro wrestling fan, a legit one. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things that's really kind of built the I think maybe the competition especially is we've had some huge roster shakeups. Yeah, uh, sure. Especially with with WWE, um, you know, they've 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 had some disgruntled wrestlers demanding to get out. They've They've had cuts because of finances, they say. So there's been this huge uh, roster shakeup, and we were just discussing it before we uh, we started to hit the record button about how like how good Impact has done in getting mm -hmm. some of this straight talent, and just this is this is gonna this shakes up the future. Like year two is gonna be really interesting to see how all these promotions develop this established WWE talent. While WWE is somewhat struggling to really define storylines for their bloated roster. For sure. Still and the, the thing is with this shit, it's just like 
Does the is the WWE the biggest show in town, the biggest dog in the yard? Absolutely, and they pay a lot of money. But you know what I mean? Like I've said before in past episodes. You know, these wrestlers, uh, along with being athletes, they're also artists. This is also their brand. This is their trade. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, making like, you know, a six figures sit to sit and catering might sound nice to the lay person. But like these guys want something better. And a lot of these guys in these interviews have said they'd rather make they've saved their money from the WWE and they'd rather make less and be um, be fulfilled with what they're doing than just sit there and just go through the motions and get a fat paycheck. And, you know, there's something to be said about that. And there's also there's guys that are just cool with collecting money. But at the same time, it's just like the good brothers and all you can go down the line of the people that have made um, the different switches. And you can see the look of uh, revigoration that's on them. Are all of them going to be world champions? Probably not. But they're going to be utilized a hell of a lot better, I think. And, espe and especially looking at the good brothers right now. So oh, right now, the good brothers. But who's the poster boy? It's for the artist formerly known as Dean Ambrose. Yeah, who, true. Who dropped a scorching, scorching interview with the Demo God. That's true. On his podcast, and basically talked about that. And how much better is John Moxley than Dean Ambrose? Way better. It's nine day. That's John Moxley was the guy that because everybody knows, and they're probably right. Like he did get on a bigger platform as Dean Ambrose. I knew him as John Moxley. But it's just like, the thing is, I'm glad he went by Dean Ambrose because if he was John Moxley in the WWE, it would have been a travesty. But yeah, two, two different characters, way different. And it's just like, you can tell, you can even tell, I mean, it's just like, it's believable with Mox because that's him. He's not this mm -hmm. like same guy that they turned him into in the WWE. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, biggest story of the year, roster shakeups, probably one of the biggest stories of year two for the rest of Hawkwebs is going to see how all of these chips fall. And we're going to see more chips falling because a bunch of non-competes are coming up of people they released in April. Yeah. And also, um, there's, there is, I feel like there is uh, a lot of fluidity between the WWE roster right now. And there could be shakeups just within their rosters and how they're going to move people in and out of NXT and how they're going to put people between the red and the blue brand. Um, yeah, that's so. the thing with WWE also, like their rosters, it's as bloated as it is, it's thin because of uh, what our next thing that we're going to bring up is. It's like with all the, with Becky Lynch getting knocked up, Charlotte needing new boobs, and um, this is a segue into COVID-19, there's a lot, they don't have access to a lot of people that they once had. You know what I mean? Like people are staying away and, you know, and rightfully so. And so this is like, it really shows and I hate to keep like bearing the product, but this is what it is without this crowd. And with this COVID thing, it really shows how much of the drizzling shits raw and SmackDown have been, you know what I mean? With the crowd, it can kind of mask it, but when there's, when there's not a crowd there, or if you have these NXT people telling them what, how to cheer and stuff that makes it, it's like, it shows how really fucking bad it is. And it's like the people that excel are the people that are good. Like, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Styles, like Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, even Seth Rollins is like excelling in it because these guys can you get it's they just don't rely on their ring work to promote themselves. They rely on them being a character and bringing out in a different um, aspect, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I think the COVID nineteen really showed um, also that there is a place for the you know, broken Matt Hardy, uh, 
cemetery, like the cinematic wrestling match. Yeah. Like they were really good. Like, yeah. uh, I, you know, WrestleMania, both both the Undertaker's match and the Fiend, or Undertaker AJ Styles. I do not want to. I don't want to not mention the phenomenal one. He's watching yeah. me right now. Yeah, and um, both definitely like you said, the Cena Fiend match, like. We've we've made fun of Cena as hard as anybody can make fun of a person, a wrestler, but like that was a great match, and I think it was nice to see that they do have some talented writers. And again, with the theme, like you alluded to earlier, having creative control, um, they were able to put together something really cool that if it was a standard WrestleMania, we never would have seen, and that was awesome. So there are yeah. some pluses, but. Uh, there, it's not all it's not all dog shit don't get me wrong there is some light you know what i'm saying it's like and part of it is due to like the talented roster that they have because i've told people on multiple occasions if it weren't for guys like styles or daniel bryan or cesaro or owens or balor i probably wouldn't even be watching the main roster product honestly like you yeah. know McIntyre's what's that nakamura yeah you know what I mean? Like, since they poached the indies, it gave me a reason to kind of watch them again. But then it shows, like, you know, what McMahon really thinks about these guys because he doesn't really do a goddamn thing with them, except for, like, a, a rare um, handful. So, yeah. in case you guys are wondering if I'm going to be going in and out of burying McMahon, I am, because I read the second quarter reports. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> we didn't add that. We didn't add that. But I did. I read it and I, I listened. I didn't event. listen. I read I read the the uh, the transcripts of the main things and it was a I don't know it was really interesting like let's save that for the um let's save it for the current events because I put uh, it in there I put it in there I like it I like it and the last thing probably the biggest recent story especially because it was the hashtag speaking out movement which basically has altered kind of the face of wrestling in the in the near term. We saw Sammy Guevara take uh, unpaid break. Yeah. Jimmy Havoc, we talked about this last episode. Jimmy Havoc is at rehab. Um, Jack Gallagher probably not going to be seen wrestling for a while. So uh, definitely the speaking out thing. And you know, one thing we I think we 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 touched on this on multiple weeks, right? Yeah. So I think, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but. Uh, I think there was a quickness to judge people. Yep. Yep. And I think it generally in our society right now, that is the case. And I think everybody needs to be able to take two breaths and a step back. And, and you know, because you're going to, because when you rush to judgment, you dismiss things that are legitimate. And you also can put too much credence in stuff that isn't. And I, I think what it really showed me with this is, it got to the point where we were just texting each other, like, what is even going on anymore? Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's like, and when things like this is a serious thing, and if this is a systemic issue in wrestling of, you know, these type of uh, unwanted and harassing events like that. But at the same time, it's like when the information comes so fast, it's like you can't. You can't discern what is real, what is not, what is legitimate, what is, you know, and it just became really difficult. And it's really changed kind of the face of wrestling in the last five, six weeks, I think. 
Absolutely. It put out, it put a lot of people out of jobs. And like I said, like, yeah, there was a big fast snap judgment that happened. And like I said, I'm not um, condoning it. Like these facts are true. I'm not condoning any of that. And I'm not saying these women like are lying or say anything, but there are always three sides to a story. There's his side, there's her side, and there's the truth somewhere in the middle. Or sometimes it is cut and dry. But, you know, it's just like we always have to, I always wait for it. Bobby is always waits for it, for all the facts to come to surface, which they usually do. And then you can reserve your judgments for them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I do want to commend the, the people who did speak out. You know, it's yeah. like have the conversation for sure. And for those, like you said, we don't condone by any means. Um, but, you know, I have a hard time when a somebody's tweet can get somebody fired. Yeah, I do too. Day. I agree. Day. Unless again, extraordinary circumstances, the promotions could have known about this. And once it came to light, they fired the person, in which case then I want to say speaking out also has put these promotions on blast. Yeah. Like, what do you know when you hire someone? What are you willing to take responsibility for? Because it's you too. Like it's, you're part of it. Yeah. And I don't think, People really focus on the individual wrestlers because that's what promotions do, right? They're all just independent contractors. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's the promotions that are also condoning and allowing this behavior to go on. So. Well, yeah, like perfect example with this whole Michael Elgin deal. It's like Impact, the guy was having issues way before that, and Impact knew about it. And they hired him anyway. They bit the bullet, and it bit him in the ass. So they, their damage control was to fire him swiftly. It's just like yeah. the egg is already on your face. So it's like, yeah, you got to do your research. If you're hearing like about these long ass stories from multiple sources, then what usually the old saying goes is legit. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And, you know, a lot of the times if there's like 20 different accusations, I mean, shit, man, like there has to be some light to it. I'm just saying like the odds are there. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But certainly those were probably the biggest stories of our first year. Um out really kind of outside the ring in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, for sure. We're getting into the nitty gritty, which we do. Why? Because we're technicians of wrestling commentary. And so we're going to go, we're going to run through this. We've got the next two spots are going to be worst booking of the year and then best feud of the year. Worst booking of the year. We've got a long list, my friend. And you added, added, I saw you add real time, real time. Xander Hobbs adding to this list. So why don't you start this up? All right. I mean, like Bobby said, it's a long list and it could even be longer if we actually wanted to, but like, that's not what we're about right now. So we're just going to do the heavy hitters. I'm just going to go from the top of the list. Number one, Charlotte going over Rhea Ripley and taking the NXT title. Wow. What a piece of crap pile of steaming dog shit booking this was like especially after mcmahon's fucking conference call saying that they're always trying to build new characters well you had one in your hands with rhea ripley she dethroned a two-time nxc champion monster and Shayna baszler this she was over with the crowd this was pre-covid she was over with the crowd and she could have been their next big thing so what do they do they naturally Booking 101 puts her against Charlotte Flair, who wins the Royal Rumble. Charlotte has a nice pedigree. So the logical person says, oh, Rhea Ripley goes over Charlotte Flair to pass kind of like the torch to anoint Rhea Ripley to be his next big player. But what does WWE do, Bobby? 
WWE does not do what uh, the WrestleOclips would have had them do. Instead, WWE does what WrestleOclips has complained about with Charlotte Flair over and over and over and over again this entire year. They put her over. Rhea Ripley lost all of her momentum. Right now, right now, Shayna Baszler is doing nothing. Rhea Ripley is doing nothing. And Charlotte is doing nothing. Yeah. That's terrible. Okay. And you know what's funny, too, because their reasoning for putting Charlotte Flair over because they wanted to counter-program AEW. They said, oh, they wanted to put more eyes on the NXT product. Um, a, Charlotte Flair is never a draw. She comes out to a lukewarm reaction. She's a carbon copy ripoff of her dad. And then, B, the ratings actually went down when she had the title. They went down. So you failed at all costs. One, two, and three. And... The last thing about it, we've talked about this all year long, is nobody's watching AEW for women's wrestling. Nobody, They're watching it for other things. And you putting Charlotte Flair on the television is not getting people to switch over from AEW. You don't know your market. You don't know your roster because you got the deepest women's roster on the planet. And the last thing you needed was Charlotte Flair. And so that's worst, That's the first worst booking that's of so the year. But there's another one that's, I think this is more atrocious. We, we yeah. This is pretty bad, too. And I'm going to tie both of these ends after we, after we go through this burial. But we have Goldberg um, not only going over the Fiend Bray Wyatt, but defeating him for the SmackDown title. Please in, in what country? In Saudi Arabia. Mm, yeah. Explain to me this because I can't. I can't even rationally think about it. It makes me. It's like, and then Goldberg dropped it to Strowman. Yeah. Which is even more ludicrous because obviously COVID nineteen. We talked about one of the biggest stories. Took Roman Reigns, the big dog. Goldberg's like a dog. Big dog Reigns. He yeah. had stepped out. So now we have this, but. Even even if anything, you built this fiend up. He took out Daniel Bryan in one of uh, the most cerebral and just amazing, and then he just gets speared by by this like old dude. And it's like the thing is, look at this how this ties in. It's like they're not the ratings are in the toilet and they're not taking the main roster seriously because why should they take them seriously? Because you have this guy that's over, but no, you want to call up Bill Goldberg for whatever reason. To beat your most over person. Charlotte got nothing over beating Rhea Ripley. It accomplished nothing. Charlotte can lose for three years and she would still have the main momentum. But then it's like, I just don't understand this. And then they wonder why their ratings are in the toilet. And then they have these scapegoats. So, I mean, I can't even like talk about it because I can feel my ears getting hot. Yeah, it's it was one of the most, uh, it, was, it was terrible. And, it, you know, it sucked too because I'm never going to watch anything they do over at Saudi Arabia. I never will. That's a piece of shit contract, and that's the only reason that they're resting on their laurels is because yeah. they're fucking. And speaking of uh, his quarterly call, I don't know if we're going to be doing a show because they're 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 the economics has changed. Yeah, because they don't have any fucking money either. So now you're not going to go there because it's you can't line your pocket, which is yeah, bullshit. So yeah, and then um, moving on to the burial train, we have. Um, Brock Lesnar squashing Kofi Kingston to regain the, what is it, the WWE title. And yeah. that 
I'll start this off. It was a nice feel-good story with Kofi Kingston winning the title, and I'll tie it into his booking when he was a champion. It was something that Vince McMahon didn't want to do, but he was forced because he didn't want another Daniel Bryan situation on his hands. So he knew what he was doing. So with Lesnar squashing Kingston, that was a big fuck you to the fans from Vince McMahon. So mm-hmm. add on into that, you could go right ahead. Yeah, and obviously they're, he's going to use the guy who, like, we've complained about Brock Lesnar on this show because, not necessarily because I dislike Brock Lesnar or what he brings to the ring or Paul Heyman, but mostly he's just a, you can't strap a guy who doesn't show up. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Because you forget the so it's, That's why it was like the ultimate F you. Kofi Kingston could have lost in a match against AJ Styles, who's going to be there the next week, and the week after that, and the week after that. Right. And you know, it's a loss. And the feel good story doesn't get quite as diminished. But to give it to the part timer and then the way that he beat him, one single F5, everybody kicks out of everybody's finishers yeah. except Kofi Kingston. Yeah. That was like disgusting. And, and to tie that in real quick, and it's just like, there should have been like kind of like a shift in Kofi's gimmick when he was champion. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying completely 180 him, but like, you're the champion. Stop with the pancake throwing. You come out and like be kind of serious sometimes. Yeah, there has to be that so the crowd can take you seriously because everybody really just kind of looks at him as those pancake throwing unicorn cereal guys. So it's just mm-hmm. like, you're not going to take him seriously. And then they showed it on top of that with this burial to Lesnar. I was like, you know, what's cool about what makes people last, and I'm not saying this as an indictment on Kofi, but it's just like, you look at all the greats, like The Rock, Austin, Michaels. They could all like, be, even Triple H, they could all be funny and humorous, but then they turn that switch. And then when it's time to kick ass, you know, they're, they're believable. But Kofi was just throwing pancakes, and then it showed with him just getting fucking... F5. It was disgusting, like you said. It was disgusting. Um, but luckily, uh, it's not all bad for W. Wait, hold on. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the next one is basically the the in our first year of podcasting, Seth Rollins is the most insufferable wrestler. I don't want to say he's the worst wrestler because he's still good in the ring. He's still good. He's still good. But he's just an asshat. His character is insufferable. I cannot stand him. And you know why? Because his character is an extension of how he is as a human being. Like he's he's an asshat. Like what from what he said on the Twitter machine, what he said in interviews, he doesn't have a filter, and he's just not a smart guy. He's great in the ring, but as a person, he's um I kind of want to kick him in the slats. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't really have to talk anything more about that uh so basically they pumped him hard and he's not a good face he's not a good heel he's not a good tweener i mean the only hope he has to make me want to watch him anymore is if they can get the shield back together but i don't think moxie's coming back so <laughs> seriously we're gonna move on yeah. this, this was infuriating not insufferable infuriating WWE ran a series of basically cuckold stories. Please explain to the audience what a cuckold is, because some people might not know. Okay, so a cuckold is, uh, if you look at Urban Dictionary or whatever, it's basically a man who watches another man make love to his woman. Yeah. Which is basically a, a powerless 
male figure, very demeaning. Um, No balls. They had a million of them. And one of them is, which infuriated me the most, was Rusev Day. Yeah, yeah. And this was, like you said earlier, this was punishing somebody who got organically over, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Because the Rusev, pairing him with Aiden English was supposed to be them throwing him out to pasture. And then Rusev Day got over, and they didn't realize what they had on their hands. So what do they do? Instead of capitalizing on it, they bury it. And then they buried him even more with um, this thing with uh, Bobby Lashley. First of all, his old lady, here's how it goes. So his old lady is cheating on him, and there's this, this other guy that comes out, right? Regular writing 101 would be the guy to get his comeuppance, him and the ex-wife, right? Not in the WWE's world. Rusev got beat up every day. He lost most of the matches. And then he lost the final match, and they sent him on his merry way. Wow. Who? And then they wonder why people don't give a shit about any of their characters, because you write them like that. Yeah, exactly. And Rusev Day was so over, and... Yeah, it was just terrible. But there was, that wasn't the only one. It was also the... the the uh what was it the mike canellis jesus christ what a marriage yeah that was also like running hot at the time like uh you know just overall just terrible writing uh what and and just they're getting the reputation for burying outgoing talent Uh uh-huh people are gonna remember that yeah the the paradigm is shifting a paradigm shift. Oh, good, good there. Good I like what you did. Good move. But um, to the point where, like, you know, interesting uh, on the uh, Cole Cabana in a recent interview said how he took less money to go to WWE for the opportunity, and then he got shat on. Yeah, big time. Well, now people aren't even going to go to WWE. They're just like, I don't want to get shat on. There's AEW. There's Impact. There's New Japan Pro Wrestling. There's MLW. There's and I have a, and you have an Instagram account and a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel. You can make, and you know, a Patreon and an OnlyFans and all these different opportunities that you don't have to go to WWE and have them basically put you through the paces and bury you and, you know, for what? Yeah, and one of the reasons too, one of the reasons my wedding, why this um, Vince McMahon is not succeeding with building his characters is because. He lives in this bubble like the WWE is the only piece of wrestling that exists. And so, like, he thinks he's going to take someone like Mox or the Good Brothers and bury them on their way out because, and to make people think that's what they are. He has to realize that other promoters watch these guys. People were watching these guys beforehand. And if you want to throw out John Moxley with the fucking bathwater, somebody's going to swoop him up real quick, and they did. Same with yeah. the long list of these guys that you fired. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is just the, um, you know, the inability to realize that you're throwing out people with really strong pedigrees. Yeah. You don't think Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes learned from their dad? Yep. (laughs) You know, you let him go. You don't think that, you know, the Good Brothers, Doc Gallows, like they didn't. They got over in Japan. You don't think they can get over somewhere else? You don't think they know? And and you know how hard it is as a gaijin to get over in Japan? 
And those guys are fucking gods. And so they, they, they weren't sweating things one bit. They Good on them. They collected money. They got paid. And now they get to do what they actually love. So props to the Good Brothers. I know I keep referencing them, but, like, I've been watching them and reading a lot of interviews with them. And, like, you know what I mean? They went through some shit. And so mm-hmm. they, got, they did the right thing. They sat out their con. Well, they got fired, but then they, but they got paid. So yeah, and I think it'll be interesting. Just a quick digression on this. Uh, I don't know what AJ Styles' contract is, but he seems super heated about it. And being that he's one of the best wrestlers on the planet, there's a lot of good matches for him to be had elsewhere. So interesting. Yeah. The thing with Styles, though, real quick, is just like the guy's 43, and he, you know what I mean. I think he likes being in the WWE, and he's mostly pissed off at Paul Heyman, which is weird yeah. because everybody that knows Paul Heyman knows that he speaks out of both sides of his ass. So mm. I mean, I don't know why it's a surprise that he lies. So yeah, I, I don't know either. But all right, let's let's move on before we fucking digress. Um, just a I quick know. thing, like um, the Who Done It and the Hacker storyline can uh get wrapped up in the two because it just it's a combination of them um, not knowing what they're doing as the storyline goes and then just slapping it together as it goes. The Who Done It thing was a big fucking dick down with Eric Rowan being the driver, right? Eric Rowan? Yeah. Well the like but it was it they they fifty percent was great. Yeah. And I then they ideas. Yeah, and then it was like, you know, they drove to the hoop they got there and they didn't know if they wanted to dunk or lay up or whatever. And the shit just got swatted out the fucking off the court because it was terrible how they ended it. It was terrible. And that was really the decline of Eric Rowan. I liked the Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan tag team. That was a good combo. That was a good yeah, combo. They were, and they're good wrestlers in ring. Daniel Bryan to me, can do no wrong. He's one of the most talented performer yeah. wrestlers on the planet. Um, I'll so, tell you, man, that, that heel Daniel Bryan had some legs on it before they turned him babyface again. Like I love, I love the Planet Champion. champion. Yeah. yeah, that was Planet Champion. Sorry, the and uh, real, I know real, and the hacker gimmick. Um, I don't know if you saw those vignettes that had some legs on it, and they just dropped it because they didn't know what to do, and they figured we'd forget. So more brilliant writing by the WWE. Good job, guys. Yeah, or they wrote it and then they then CM Punk didn't sign the contract to come back. Yeah, and so they didn't have anything to go, but that's just hearsay on the on the on the IWC. All right, best feud of our first year. We've got three on here. There's lots of great feuds. The, to me, though, and and you can correct me because you you know more than I do. I don't feel like this was a great year for feuds. I think they went through a lot of feuds really fast. They could have been marinated and lasted longer. Yeah. And even some of these were short feuds. Um, and I think that's really, I don't know if it's, you know, with AEW, they're trying to, to um, showcase lots of talent. So they want to run people through and cycle people through to get them in the main event. I think we're seeing that a little bit with Orange Cassidy right now. Yeah, they're doing um, it. Now. And um, so, but like these are the three I have. Um, what what was your favorite? Well, hold on, just real quick, just to like top that off. There's a lot of reasons why they just run through feuds. A, the attention span of the average watcher is very short, and then just B, like you said, they just want to like slap things together and move people along. But like that's like that's one of the nuances of pro wrestling back in the day that I enjoyed is like a 
like a nice, nice long feud that has a nice, like, you know, ending to it. But we're not going to get that anymore. So I'm not going to bitch about it. Um, out of these three, um, I think my favorite feud out of them was just the Fiend and Daniel Bryan. I, you know, I'm going to go WWE here and he's gone. Are you here? Hey. Sorry, brother. I'm a, I'm an important person. Oh yeah, I guess. Um, so I'm just going to go WWE Jones. I'm going to go with The Fiend and Daniel Bryan. Um, I just thought it was the re- the ring work was good. The outside of the ring, it just checked all three boxes. Not saying that the other two weren't good, but I'm just saying like I like this one the best because there was th- that one had the least holes in it out of all three of those feuds, I think. Yeah, I loved how he pulled him through. He was coming up to The Fiend would come up through the ring and then he cut his hair. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, kind of got like, the indie Daniel Bryan, if you will. Yeah, he brought back uh, the American Dragon. Right. I thought that was great. Um, the other ones we have on this is kind of like, I really like the Jericho-Cody feud. And it was funny because then on our on our Google Doc that we do, Xander uh, was like, do you mean Jericho Mox? I was like, no, I really like the Cody one because I loved how he broke the glass door. He punched through the glass door. Oh, I that's right. That okay. Pretty- that was the turning point with MJF. Yeah, that's right. And then, so it set up, it, it was really like a key point in moving a lot of different storylines. And then to have Jericho go over made the Jericho Mox feud and Mox going over that much better. Right, like, right, right. It was like, it was probably the best booking AEW has done. Yeah, probably, because a lot of their booking has been crap, honestly. Well, yeah, and, um, you know, it's it was at that time all of kind of the EVPs, the elite were jobbing. Yeah. And even though Cody lost, it wasn't a job. He lost to Jericho. It put Jericho over in such a way that now we have, you know, the demo god, and it just like granted Jericho is probably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And yeah. that year has shown that. Yeah. Insane. He is so good, but I love that. I just love that. I love that promo that Cody laid down when he talked about how Jericho is the son of a famous hockey player, then he's a dick. I mean, just everything. And then, you know, so I really love that. And then I think the other one we really followed, uh, it was kind of the height, uh, one of my favorite heels, thumbs up, thumbs down, Sammy Callahan versus, at the time, Undeniable, the diamond, whatever she wanted to be called, uh, Tessa Blanchard. And yeah, uh, that, I was really good to follow at the time. That was a good feud. And, you know, her winning the title was a cool, you know, progressive moment. But I look back on the feud and, like, what they did with her after they put the belt on her. And it loses a lot of luster for me because the way, the way they built up to it and then the way that it fizzled out, it's just like, man, I know the feud was great, but it's just like, yeah, and then plus it's like with Tessa and like just being like, uh, I'm not going to use any words that I shouldn't, just being who she is, just kind of like makes me sour on the whole thing, you know? I, I hope she's like learned some stuff, but it's just like Callahan did what a lot of fucking wrestlers wouldn't do. And you know what I mean? And I'm not talking about just doing the job. He fucking gave, put her over for the fucking title. And for her to treat it like that is kind of like, it's kind of a disgrace. I honestly... Yeah, I agree. And I looked through my notes and that's why I added it because we did, it was a big deal. And one of the things I loved about it was like 
before he dropped the strap, they had that like brawl outside of the arena. And it was like, yeah. it was great. It was great. And that's how good yeah. Sammy Callahan is. A testament to Sammy Callahan for sure. But it was a good feud. And at the time it was going on, it really mattered. And I totally yeah. agree with you. You know, maybe we should have, we, our worst booking is so long, but we sure, we certainly could have fit uh, Tessa Blanchard post that feud booking into yeah. the mix. Because it was. You put Tessa Blanchard with anybody other than Sammy Callahan for this feud, and it doesn't work, and Tessa's not over to the least amount that she is right now. Callahan put her on the map, and that's what people need to remember. Exactly. Exactly. We've got, so one thing that has been super fun for us is we've had a bunch of different segments. Um, some of them have lasted. Some of them haven't. We used to do a top five, bottom five. Uh, we used to do like tweet of the week or IWC moment of the week. Uh, but what we did is what we, we really distilled down like a fine vodka. Um, what really matters. And we're going to go through kind of the best, the best of our cool shit segments. Number one, you. Run the mailbag. You are the post office general, my friend. What? Who is going year one best mailbag contributor? Who is it, my friend? Well, if you're going to put it on a specific who, I'm going to put it on uh, Mr. WWE Universe member for his um, entertaining heel work. Because if you guys know, if you go into the archives, this guy loves to listen to us and loves to bury us. But he loves to listen to us and he loves to try and bury us. So it's very funny, and I try to look for his questions because they're very entertaining. Go back in the archives and do yourself a favor. But on, like, a regular tip, on, like, a culmination of the mailbag, I do like when people ask about, like, what we like from the past, what our favorite, like, finishing moves are and stuff like that. I really like questions like that because as much as I I seem to pick it apart, it was a bit – wrestling was a big part of my childhood. And when I hear about who I liked back in the day, like – it brings me back to those times, which are really good. So those are the best two things about the mailbag that I like. Awesome. I agree. I agree. We've had fun with WWE Universe fan, Universe member um, multiple times. And there it is again, if you're listening, we just put you on the map and made you famous one more time. So bring in yeah. another question. Yes, indeed. Send us another question, preferably maybe something about how, like, I don't know, you hate Drew McIntyre or some nonsense. I don't know. Best walkout music. You answered this. I yeah. wasn't gonna. I, I was gonna put myself over, but definitely DNR, Death and Revenge. Um, wh- piggybacking on what he said, the reason that made it, it may not be the best song. It probably isn't the best song that either of us have chosen, but it it's nostalgic. That's right. That's and, right. And that's why we like when you ask us questions about what's your favorite. Hulk Hogan match or what's your favorite you know the nostalgia because a big part of this wrestling thing is that nostalgia so Xander and I listened to this band back in the MySpace days I didn't have quite as a robust profile as the as the uh, the Vandal the Xander had but uh, Death and Revenge awesome band loved that I found that shit on Spotify and it was great and I appreciate I appreciate the uh recognizing that my friend yeah i did the job for you right there did the honors because you yeah, know you how I... good you what? sell so good you do sell <laughs> good. you're like kenny omega man like that, that dude is... can yeah 
That guy can't sell. Um, and this is a cool one. Uh, Bobby is the one that brought this section up. And it was introduced in the Seventh Circle of Hell episode. It's called Fire Sneakers. And I've really peeled, kept my eyes peeled since Bobby brought it up because he's more of a sneakerhead than I am. But I thought it was really cool because it just shows like, you know, because wrestling, especially in the WWE, everybody's so formulaic. And it really shows like kind of their personality when they're wearing different kinds of shoes, I think. So, Bobby, lead us off with this. Yeah, man, best fire sneakers. So uh, I got I got one here. Xander got the other one. They both happen to be Jordan Elevens, though. So yeah. I, you know, I went with our good friend Rusev Day uh, when he was going through that terrible cuckold story. He came out with the beautiful j 11s win like 82 so if you know the 11s they're the patent leather and this one is in the north carolina colors because obviously michael jordan went to north carolina so that's why it is sick and uh it was great and then xander spotted the next ones these are also jordan 11s but these are the bianca belair came out with the bread and go through the archives you broke it down but it's basically you know, black and red color scheme, and they are savage. Yeah, pretty dumb. Uh, yeah, COVID-19 kind of put a bosh, kind of as, as hindered the fire sneakers, but definitely, if you want to know people to look at who made the list, we got Britt Baker, the role model, who is Jordan. She wears Jordans, which I like. New Day's always wearing fire sneakers. Kofi Kingston wears a lot of Adidas. You're going to see a lot of dames on him uh zigzags likes to wear in his promos he'll wear the jordan ones multiple colorways uso penitentiary all white jordan ones man and i love the uso penitentiary just gotta say private party always has good sneakers um and then definitely uh i like to call them the viking prophets but street prophets they they their their shoes are just too red sometimes Way too all, all the time. But generally speaking, uh, Fire Sneakers has been super fun. Again, we've had a lot of different segments, and this one's stuck. So um, if you see Fire Sneakers on a wrestler or on their Instagram, drop us a line. I'll check them out, and then we'll decide how hot they are, and they may make the list. Boom. And then our last segment that we really like and that we really dug was our best Inside the Ring Inside the ring is when we do a little peeling the curtain back and tell you some stuff about the ins that you may not have known about pro wrestling. So we had a segment called Numerology, which was really awesome. We'd take the week, we'd take a number, and we'd break it down. Our WrestleMania 10 one, if you want to hear that, you can go into the archives. It is available. Yeah, actually, you should stop listening. Listen to that one, because WrestleMania 10 is possibly the greatest wrestling pay-per-view of all time. Right. And you may read about it, but all those people are jabronis. And you could actually come to the finest wrestling commentators on the planet, and we will tell you why WrestleMania Chain is awesome. But we also did a lot of other ones. Um, Numerology was really fun. That was back when we were known as View from the Top Rope. Exactly. And then a good one that we did inside the ring is when um, Dark Side of the Ring was on, and we broke down pretty much every episode, and that was fun. Because, uh, you know, it was, those were good documentaries. Do yourself a favor. Check those out. You can see them on the YouTube machine or Vice On Demand. Those are two cheap plugs. And um, it was just cool. It just really broke down the um, 
grittier side of pro wrestling, which was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And, and honestly, for all of you people who are listening, if you haven't, you should listen to every single Inside the Ring because these are basically public. It's just, the, it's just what we're doing to give back. You know, we want to teach people about what wrestling is really about. So you're in Inside the Ring, you're going to find out about like the heel face dynamic. You're going to find out about the tag teams. You're going to find out about everything. You're going to basically, you're going to be like four levels down from us, but you're going to be pretty much the most knowledgeable wrestling fans on the face of the planet. Facts. Facts. And you know what? That wraps up our first half. We're going to take a powder. We're going to put on a cool tune for you guys, and we're going to come at you with some current events. Ha! Bloodbath. Just want to wish you guys a happy birthday or anniversary, birthday, or well, whatever it is. Glad you guys made it to a year. 
Love listening to the show. You guys are funny, insightful. Just a couple of great guys. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to getting back in the studio with you guys. Because everybody knows that I was on quite a roll with my predictions. So look forward to getting back once again. Happy birthday, anniversary, whatever. And everybody who listens, thanks for supporting the show. And we're back with your favorite segment, my favorite segment. Wait a minute. This isn't what we do. We already went through our cool shit for the year. We're doing something a little bit different. We're going to go into the extreme rules um, of the wrestling week like we normally do. And then we're just going to close things out and start off our new year. So um, being going from the top of the list, Bobby, what do we have for them? All right. So uh, we got to go back in the time machine a little bit. It's been busy. But yeah. uh, extreme rules. Oof. Was not extreme. No. And I think when I the adjective I would use to describe it would be meh. Yeah, pretty much. You had some. You had some good matches. You had a lot of crap outcomes, and that's just how I describe it without getting in fucking detail. Like it was just, and it was what I expected. It was what I expected. Um, some of the booking very bad, but it was what I expected. So. I'm not that yeah, a lot of contri- I would say that uh, I would describe it as a lot of contrived endings to matches. Yes. They wanted to like they put too much swerves on every fucking match. Yes. But I would also say uh, I recommend everybody watching the Sasha Banks match. Yes. If you've ever questioned how good she is, this will answer all those questions. Absolutely. The boss legit for sure. Um, and then also, as a fan, we've talked about it many times over this first year. Zorro may be the best wrestler in the company. I mean, probably not with Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, but he's really good. And uh, they had a really good thing going, but Sami Zayn with COVID is not yeah. in the game. But they've done a really good job, and I loved seeing Nakamura and Zorro get those titles. Yeah, I like seeing them get the titles. It just it's just a shame that those belts are worthless. But it was a good match. That was one of the better matches of the show. Uh, but I want to move on from that. Uh, so we're gonna go into Raw, and um, as we all know, Kyrie Sane is done in the WWE. Uh, she had a great NXT run. She is a champion, and then she got to the main roster. She won the tag team titles with Oscar twice, but they booked those like shit. So. But um, she's going. She's going home to be with her husband and be with family. And I can't really throw a flag on her for that. So no, I enjoyed no, it while I she was here. What? Underutilized, I think. Yeah, would, absolutely, absolutely. Like, yeah, but happy trails. Hopefully, we'll see her back. Hopefully, we'll see her in stardom because that's where she came from. So I'll be on the lookout for our Kyrie Sane. But anyways, mm-hmm. let's keep them going. Yeah, you know my, I'm super excited because my main man, I've loved, I'm a mark for him since, since the Miz cashed in on him. Right on, I know. The Viper. He's I hear doing- voices in my head. Randy he- Orton, Randy Orton continues to be in the best programs on the main roster, and I'm pumped on this how they're developing this all. I'm glad he effed up Big Show. Yeah, Big Show should not be... Was 
I mean, I I like this is this is about as entertaining and as he's been in a while. So I'm digging this like this spin on like the Legend Killer and the Viper in one. Um, it's good, and it's going to bring us to him going up against Drew McIntyre. So this should be. I mean, I wish this was for a crowd with a crowd because that's really missing. And um, a lot of people are wanting an Orton title win, and I'm just saying that's not that shouldn't happen. I don't think Orton should be winning any titles. This should be this is the opportunity to put um, McIntyre over again. So if he takes out Lesnar and Orton, that would put more of a stamp on him. But I don't know. WWE's done some weird shit. So yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Orton should lose, but he's going to put on an engaged Randy Orton is an excellent Randy Orton. Yes, Something I agree. And I don't think so. I think I think in the end, what they want now is you got to be pointing toward a Drew McIntyre. Big dog showdown. I know, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what's next. Versus the Claymore. Superman yeah. Punch. Like, I versus think... The, versus the Glasgow Kiss. I you know. know right? I like, mean, and if that's how they can bring him back, hopefully no. they find a way that he's comfortable to come back and perform. But, oh, man, I would even be... I would be pumped on that. That's what I was going to say. Like, I'm not even that big of a Roman Reigns fan as a character. But Roman Reigns versus McIntyre, I'm not mad at that at all. No. So when it happens, true believers, just remember that very important people listen to this podcast. There you go. There you go. And hopefully they'll be listening soon. Um, I don't know why you have this under Good Raw, but it says Monday Night Messiah. I don't know why you have that under here. No, I didn't mean that. I said, so basically, overall, it was a good Raw. Oh. The things we should talk about are audio saying, my main man, Randy Orton. And then, this isn't a positive. I'll tab it out. Negative. Monday Night Messiah continues to be, it should be called meh. Can like, you tell me this? Answer me this question. Kevin Owens beat him at WrestleMania. So shouldn't this be Kevin Owens' time? Um, Rollins lost. So why are we seeing more of him? Like, I just, ah, it, maybe he's the one that's available because Owens goes back and forth. But it's just like, man, I a lot of people are digging this Messiah thing. I don't like it. It's Maybe it's because I'm biased because I don't like Seth Rollins, but he just needs to go away and, like, learn a new hold and just, you know, reset. You know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. I agree. And that's one thing you made when you said learn, learn a new hold. The one thing I did notice is that uh, my main man, Randy Orton, has brought back the punt. The punt. Yeah, I'm glad it's back. God. I love the punt. They're like, you know what? Screw this head injury bullshit. Do yeah. what you want to do. Seth Rollins has been stomping fools out. Like, with, That's what I said. Yeah. So finally we get the punt back. But yes, I agree. Uh, they, you know, the only thing that makes the man Messiah even watchable is because I like Bobby Murphy. Yeah, Buddy Murphy's cool. Yeah, he's cool. Well, like, that's mean, cool, but that, the character is is mid card at best. Yeah, and like and like you said, he's not the Monday Night Messiah like I dubbed, and I want to see the shirts and the remuneration. It's the mid card Messiah. So yeah, that's who he is. That's who he is. All right, there's a lot of uh, blue here. I think this is. Uh, I think I'm gonna turn it over to you. Run yeah. through your your high high points. So. 
So we have um, Alistair Black being written off because there's um, multiple so sources that say Vince is not a fan of him or he doesn't get him and that he's part of one of the Paul Heyman people that um, casualties because Paul Heyman was high up on Alistair Black. I'm a big fan of him. But then there are also other sources that say that Vince does like him. So I don't know. We'll see it when he comes back and we'll see how he's utilized because his main roster run has been lackluster to say the least. This guy, Alistair Black, he's got the character. You know, I mean, he could be up there in that like Undertaker like kind of like category. You know, he comes out from the like ground and, you know, he has this real stoic presence about him and the guy can go in the ring. So, I mean, it's if they need to like reset and see what they want to do with this guy because he can be like a heavy he can be a major player for them if they if they book him correctly i agree i agree um <clears throat> the uh the next one that is questionable how they're booking oscar yeah this title run has been lackluster just like all her other ones fluke win to get the title fluke win over naya fluke win over charlotte flair um little fucking shady fugazi like thing that they did with her and Sasha. And then on top of that, Sasha wins the belt. Like, and usually I'm not, um, I'm not like going to knock a Sasha title run, but this was just so contrived. And this is the time for Oscar to have a dominant title run. And they did nothing with it. Like she might as well not even fucking had the belt to be completely honest with you. She know, you know, no, I do know. I'm shaking my head for the listeners out there. I'm shaking my head emphatically. And, um, like, and here's the thing, though, really quick. I know that this isn't the end of the program, and I know SummerSlam's on the horizon, but it is the way WWE books. I'm not optimistic. Let's just put it that way. I'm not variant. I'm just not optimistic. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know, man. I almost think there's a, there's a bigger curse on the NXT Women's Champion. And there is yeah. an impact champion. It's like, yeah. where's Baszler? Beast, yeah. Baszler. Asuka had that title forever. Like, uh -huh. they don't do anything. And and if and if you're if you're unlucky, Charlotte comes and takes it. Yeah, Ripley. Like, yeah, right. I don't know, man. That's the cursed title. We're calling it right now. First show of year number two. NXT Women's Title. Is it cursed? The answer is yes. Boom. And then also just a um, couple things to wrap up uh, the WWE side is um, we want to say happy birthday to the game. Triple H, he celebrated a birthday a few days ago. And um, I don't know, Triple H, you'll know, has been one of my favorite wrestlers. I don't bury him as lot as a lot of people do and there's a lot, a lot of people that he does. <laughs> you like what I did there? But yeah. um, no, he's always been one of the favorites of mine. My dad watched me. My dad and I watched him when he first started. His name was Terror Rising. And um, you can find me on certain message boards under that name, wink, wink. And then he became John Paul Levesque, and then he became the guy that we know as Triple H, which stands for Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So big ups to the game. He's doing really great. Comes out to Motorhead, which is awesome. And then um, cheap plug for the WWE, there are a few Triple H Motorhead combination shirts that they're putting out. I bought myself one, being the Motorhead and Triple H fan that I am. And um, you, can ch you can check those out. So happy birthday to the game. Indeed, happy birthday to the game, and uh, we've talked about it a lot, but by the way, WWE is a publicly held company. They have investor calls. When they do, Vince McMahon generally exhumes bullshit out of his mouth, and that's basically what we had. 
Xander has been breaking it down, giving you the high points, low points. They're all low points, kind of, really, because it's a bunch of bullshit. Like, obviously, they were affected by COVID-19. Vince McMahon continuously went to this excuse of building new characters. But yeah. if you in if I was spending money on WWE stock, I spend money on their shirts, their network, all sorts of different stuff. We bought tickets to their live show pre-COVID. Amazing. But if I own their stock and he told me that, I would say, I watch your program, sir, and your actions. Do not map with what you are saying. No, not at all. It's just like they talk about building new stars, but we see the fucking big show in the main event. Like, what the fuck? I'm not doubting the big show, but he's not new at all. And the thing is, Vince McMahon said, like, they're going to be trying. He ended this this call. We're going to be trying to build stars with more compelling storylines, with more. And it's like, no, you're not. You're going to do the same shit. You just said that to appease the investors. You blame COVID for shit going downhill. The ratings have been in the toilet for over 10 years. So this is way pre-COVID. So find a new narrative. And the thing is, it's McMahon. He's in the sandbox with all his toys. And he's like that kid that just plays with the same ones, even though he's got a million. He's just going to play with the ones he wants to. And this is how it's going to be until it hits him in the pocket. And that's when he's going to change, because that's why he did it back in the Attitude Era. Exactly. And I think one of the most telling statements was we alluded to earlier was when they questioned him about another show in Saudi Arabia. In the end, it's all about money. He doesn't give a yep. shit. The press of, he doesn't give a shit that he can't have his women wrestlers there or they have to wear crazy different gear. No, he said he doesn't want to do it because there possibly might not be money. Not that they possibly may have kidnapped his roster and prevented them from flying out of it. But yes. it is a bunch of bullshit. If you do invest in WWE, good luck. <laughs> All good right. luck. Moving, night to, moving on to our favorite night, some positive shit. And that's yes. Wrestling Night in America. So on the docket, it says we're going to start with NXT. And um, they're doing a tournament. A they're doing a series of triple threat matches. The winner of those triple threats will go into a ladder match at the next NXT TakeOver to to retrieve the now vacant North American title. So, so far we have who? Bronson Reed and Dexter Loomis in the five-way. We got two people. And then, so next week's match is going to be good. I don't have it on the top of my head. But um, uh, TakeOver always, like, they always show up. And it should be nothing less with the uh, North American title on the line. Well, yeah. And is this the 30th TakeOver? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, like... One of the best pay-per-views of our first year was definitely NXT War Games. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And so I, if I expect it to at least be that good. Yeah, Takeover Thirty. They're gonna they're gonna go balls to the wall for it. You know Triple H, man. If he's throwing out pay-per-view quality matches just to beat um, AEW in ratings, he's gonna put on a fucking quite the show for a NXT Takeover Thirty. Yeah. I agree. I agree. One thing I can, one match that's certainly going to be on there is going to be the Keith Lee Karrion Cross showdown. Yeah. Yes. I'm yes. feeling like Karrion Cross is going to win, and I don't know if I like that. I don't like it either because Keith Lee has a lot of momentum to be a good dominant champion, even though he's a baby face. And I just think they're pushing Cross way too fast. It's Cross is going to be good. Don't get me wrong. He's good, but it's just too fast. 
And now they're booked themselves into a corner because, you know, he loses. He doesn't, I don't think he loses momentum if he loses, but you just can't blaze him out this quick. That's just my opinion, dude. No, I agree. I agree. Somebody who is on the hot shot, possible. I don't think, I don't know if they'll strap him, but I'm a big fan of Dexter Loomis. Me too, man. That guy is great. And that match he had with Finn Balor and Timothy Thatcher was on point because you have three guys with three completely different styles of wrestling. And they like, they went together like clockwork, dude. It was, I was so impressed because you have yeah. Thatcher just like, he's a, he's a catch his catch can wrestling. And then you have Finn Balor, who's a hybrid, high flying, you know, stuff like that. And you have Dexter Loomis, who's more character driven, but he's a hard hitting bruiser. So it was a great match, dude. Like, I'll give it match of the night over Gargano and um, what's his name? Roderick Strong. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I loved how they ended it in like the the holds, holds, holds. Like yeah, how they ended that perfect. Like, yeah, great booking. Gotta say, yep. great booking on that match for okay. sure. I did, I really did like the um, the uh, Roddy Strong and Gargano match. It was a great match. Um, those two guys, those two guys can't have a bad match, even though yeah. like, on multiple occasions, Roderick Strong's got the personality of a sack of potatoes, but he's great in the ring. He's really good. And Johnny Gargano, I'm liking this heel turn with him. He can go both ways, so he's good. Yeah, and it was like I think I saw something. I want to say maybe it was CBS or. Forbes or whatever I I like to check what the IWC is saying about each each promotion, and I think the gentleman said is like if this had ten more minutes, like these two could put on the best match of a pay per view. I agree, you know, and that's exactly Johnny, what, that's that's what I say. If they gave it a little bit more time, it would have probably taken over. But they wanted to put more time into you know the North American Triple Threat, which is understandable. Yeah. Totally understandable. But those two guys, if they can build something that's compelling between yeah. them, I think they could have some great, great matches. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, like we said, I think the things moving forward with NXT that I'm looking at is how they shake down with their women's division. And I think where they go with Keith Lee are the two, the two biggest questions I have moving forward in year two in yeah. this short and it's going to be good, though, because I'm looking forward to Dakota Kai and Rhea Ripley, you know, for the number one contender. That's going to be a good match. I honestly, I think I think Ripley's on reset, and I think Dakota Kai should go over because we need to be fucking just giving more people to Io Shirai right now, give, building that, like, dominant, like, champion, you know? I agree. But uh, um, let's move on to uh, the other show, AEW Dynamite. Dynamite. So I just watched it today. Um, the last yes, last week's episode was better than this one, but both were good. I was happy with the return of the Spanish God. Um, Cody Rhodes. I don't want to. I'll talk about Warhorse in a minute. What I do want to talk about is Cody Rhodes going up against Eddie Kingston. Man, that promo was great. And if they can lock Eddie Kingston, man, that's an underrated find because that guy is one of the best guys on the mic. He's got a good style. Um, the only botch I had with that match was Cody gets powerbombed on thumbtacks, no sells it, and then makes him tap out. The finish came really quick. But other than that, it was good. And Eddie Kingston, this, if you don't know who he is, fire up the Google machine because uh, he's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. And, like, uh, I think I, you know, I love the Guevara return. Um, 
it wasn't as surprising as it seemed because he's a pretty unique character. So yeah. I liked how he did take the mask off, and then I liked how, you know, he makes the inner circle, like, way more compelling to watch. And him and Chris Jericho are a very good tag team. Yeah. So they the that. momentum. Yeah. Still that, what? I said I was stoked on that. Like, um, yeah, I like the Cody Rhodes having these good matches with these, like, indie guys. And obviously, they're bringing a lot of indie guys in, like, with, you know, he had the match against, like, two weeks ago, and that guy got a contract and this stuff. Um, the one thing I said is I wasn't super pumped because I went and, like, everyone was talking about Warhorse has a social media following, and he's just like, and I went and watched that match with him and Orange Cassidy, and I, it was boring. I'm not the biggest fan of the guy. Like, I've heard of him. And people, people have a big boner over him and stuff like that. I'm not dogging him, but it's just like, I mean, I there's other impressive people. Like, he's cool, but, like, I don't like him as much as other people do. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and I agree to agree. So, uh, but, like, basically, I like it. You know, it's it's uh, Cody Rhodes and, and, you know, trying to, I think he tries to elevate you know, non-mainstream wrestling. Yeah, obviously job of that. And, um, and, you know, he's, I can see a slow burning heel turn in the work, so that'll be good. And that'll open up more. He fights heels and faces and he can go both ways in a match, but like, I just see some other things coming. It's going to be okay. So I, I think there's a lot of momentum going on this. I mean, that being said, you know, I mean, just, I mean, AEW's just got to tighten up some screws. You know what I mean? With the false finishes are just too much in this tag team division. Like, I mean, when you have, like, a super Canadian destroyer that we saw with that Bucks match, and then, like, I, I get that they interfered, but just, like, you got to – false finishes, you got to save those for, like, important matches. It can't be, like, eight false finishes in a match. It's just, what's what do you what do you want the crowd to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's been a, a, a general critique of yours throughout the first year of our podcast is, like, Every match can't be a pay-per-view match. Like, no, dude. It can't be all flippy-dippy high spots and stuff. But, you know, they're working through it. I agree, though. I agree with you. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong. I like that shit. But it's just like you are going to burn out, like, the crowd. Like, because if somebody kicks off, kicks out of, like, a super-duper Canadian destroyer, hey, there goes that finisher. What's the other guy supposed to do next to put the to make the crowd chant? It's like, I remember when I'm doing a moonsault was a big deal. Now it's just like a clothesline. And it's just yeah. like, we're, we're devaluing not only finishers, but just moves in general. It's just like, now a setup move is like a fucking 450 splash. You know what I mean? It's just like, I just, it's just gotten way overboard. That's what I think. No. It's like, you believe- look at all the guys back in the, what? I was like, could you imagine, like, the people's elbow in today's environment? Oh, my God. People would shit on it. Like, yeah, and like I was going to say, the people that have been the most over in the wrestling business haven't had that flashy of a fucking moveset. You know what I mean? You go down the list with your Stone Colds, your Rocks, even with Bret Hart and, like, even with HBK. He was probably the flashiest, but, like, it was still made sense. It was still simple. You know what I mean? It has to make sense. Yeah, and then there's, like, obviously the timeless ones. It's, like, the RKO. Right. It's just, like, a cool move. It's not, like... You gotta do it's more not like it's, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I but agree. They need, to tighten, they need to tighten that up up, and uh, they've got they've got to do something um, with the, the 
tag team champions. It's they got to start the ball rolling on that. It's time. I see it with Omega slowly turning heel, but it's time to like start get it rolling. It either goes too slow or too fast. But like get, I think they're starting to roll with it right now. I thought they were trying to get, they were trying to see like, um, l- trying to stretch it out for a crowd. But we're not getting any crowds anytime soon. Like you gotta yeah. fuck, like stick a fork in that pipe dream because as of right now, like massive gatherings for 2020 are a wrap. And they're yeah. probably a wrap for like 2021, like half of it, you know, in general, because everything keeps moving back. I don't want to get back into a COVID thing, but I'm just saying it's like, let's get these balls rolling. They do a good job without the crowd and let's just see it. Speaking of uh, momentum, Darby Allen has a title match um, next week on AW Dynamite. It's it's going to be a loss and that's not good for um, Darby Allen's momentum. And like, I don't know. I just think when they get into matches like this, even with Cage and Mox, they could have had like a DQ finish or like a run-in. So the momentum yeah, doesn't get derailed. Didn't happen. Didn't Taz throw the towel in? Taz the towel, but that's dumb. That well, was stupid. I mean, it's still along the same vein as what you're saying. I they guess, but it was still yeah. like, yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. But I agree. Darby Allen, they cannot, he is over as over could be, but they do not seem to have a handle on how they want to write him. Which no. is, it's, it's unfortunate because generally they did really good with moving storylines throughout the show. They moved them forward. They did, that was one of the like real big positives about this week's uh, Dynamite is just like yeah. everything yeah, with they moved Patsy, yeah. Demo God, the, the huge, Inner circle versus best friends. Yeah, they they do a good job of moving the boy and who like I don't know. They they do a good job of moving the storylines. They've been doing good with that. They just have to tighten up the way things are booked. That's all I'm saying. Like it's just like a lot of the shit they do doesn't make sense. And like it's just time to like you know I'm sure they have people there talking to them and stuff. I'm not bearing it, but I'm just saying like not I call it down the middle. You know, not everything. I'm not a mark, and so I'm going to tell you what's good, and I will tell you what I don't like. So, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, I think it's one of the better things about the show, though, and especially when you have someone like Chris Jericho, the demo god. Um, Speaking you know, of you- things that I did like, MJF's promo, and this will be a nice way to put a bow on this awesome episode. MJF's promo was fucking top notch. If you haven't seen it. Do yourself a favor and go watch it because, man, that guy is their future. And it's time to start strapping the rocket to him, putting him in more meaningful feuds. That's why him calling out Mox was just good. Like, with this, this talking about the state of wrestling right now, I agreed with almost everything that he said. Talk about hitting the nail on the head, Jones. It was dope. And th- I hope this is a start of, like, we're seeing more of MJF. And I wouldn't be mad if he dethrones Mox. Yeah, I mean, somebody has to dethrone Mox, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think it would be great. What's up? What did you think of the promo? Did you watch it? I did. I caught it on the YouTube machine. I thought, I love MJF in general, and he is he is light years ahead of, his mic skills are light years ahead of his wrestling skills. Yeah, yeah, I but know that. Better. But the mic skills are what gets you there. You got to talk people into the building, and that's what he does. And like I said, Mox will be able to carry the match for him. And it's just like, dude, MJF's the future, and it's time to start fucking preparing for it with him. And I See, think, I- like, 
I would kind of disagree. One of my worries is Mox is like the prototypical rise to the occasion wrestler. And MJF isn't MJF isn't Chris Jericho. I know. Like, but the thing is they have a lot of heat to build. If say say they do strap MJF and then we have like, you know, him with Wardlow. And then, you know, they just re-signed, they just signed Tony Tino Sabatelli. He wasn't much in NXT because he was always hurt. He could be part of that um, faction because they're these two smarmy, like, uppity rich dudes. And they could, like, they could have him um, successfully defend the title through nefarious means. I know it works better with the crowd. I'm just saying it could work. Do, no. but I, I'm, 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 I'd be okay with it, but I don't, like, I'm not pining for it. Let's put it that way. No, I agree with you, and I think that like elevating MJF helps elevate Wardlow, which yeah. is one of this like we talked about earlier. AEW gets all these monsters, and they just lose, yeah, lose and lose. But uh, I liked I like the promo. I like it. I think that they can do a lot of things. I think having MJF have the title, and then and having Cody having the other title, but Cody cannot. By his own admission, yeah. did not challenge. I think they could do a lot of like interesting, cool things with that. Um, oh, it writes itself. It writes itself. You know? Yeah. It was, Booking one on one, folks. Yeah. You know what? I think maybe that's going to be a thing. I'm not. I'm not promising anybody anything because I never do. But maybe uh, year two, we're going to add a segment called Booking One on One or Fantasy Booking, and we're going to actually start writing the shows for these people because they listen to it anyways. Yeah. We're just going to write it out for him, and then we're going to see probably the best wrestling anybody's ever seen year two. Xander Hobbs, what, how do we end the shows? Well, before we end it, before we end it, I just want to thank all the people that have listened to us. I want to thank the followers. Um, I want to thank, like, you know, Betty Rebel for letting us do this. I want to thank my partner, Bobby, and, like, the everybody else that, like, supports it. And, you know what I mean? Just do, do us a favor, you know, uh, spread the word. Give us a follow, give us a like, give us a download, tell everybody. Even though we're talking about wrestling, it's pretty we are pretty entertaining. And it's just been a dope ride. Do you want to add anything real quick? No, but I agree. Good good ups on giving thanks for everybody. Yep. And on that note, yours truly Xander Hobbs. Ours truly Bobby B in this life. And we'll see you next time. And next year. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>